Ricky Bell, Michael Bivens, Bobby Brown, Ronnie DeVoe, Ralph Tresvant, and Johnny Gill. You know them as the hit R&B group. Anybody? New Edition. New Edition formed out of a group of friends from the Roxbury neighborhood in Boston, Massachusetts. They performed such hits as Candy Girl and Mr. Telephone Man, which I'm not going to sing this morning, okay? But New Edition is not only known for their hits, they're also known for their divisive history. Uh, BET produced a three-part miniseries back in 2017 that tells their story. And the first scene of the miniseries opens with that infamous concert in 1997 where Bobby Brown is beginning yet another song, yet another song, taking the stage yet again beyond his allotted number of songs that he was supposed to do. And so uh, his fellow band member, Ronnie DeVoe, comes up to him and is fed up and he takes the mic out of his hand. Uh, Bobby Brown begins to exit the stage and then suddenly turns around and a fist fight begins on the stage between all of the members of the band and the entire crew. And in the documentary, this scene ends with a gunshot. Because if you know the story, it, it, it didn't end well for one member of the crew. The narrator's voice on the documentary breaks through the chaos and he says, Ego, pride, and greed resulted in this blow-up of what had once been a successful group of brothers. Ego, pride, and greed. It's so easy, isn't it? For gifted people to become self-consumed. Sadly, this happens in the church too. (laughs) This happens in God's family too. Internal divisions were happening in Corinth. At the church in Corinth. And and this is what had actually sparked the Apostle Paul to, to address the rising tensions And in our passage today, we're going to observe how this played out in the area of spiritual gifts. And we're going to see as we as we pay attention to what God is telling us in his word, that there are these three spirit filled practices, these three spirit filled practices that will work to prevent division in the church. All right, so get your notes out and take some notes, because the three spiritual practices are things that we want to ask God to really deeply communicate to us. And here they are. The first one is be humble. The second one is be authentic. And the third one is be yourself. Be humble. Be authentic. And be yourself. Let's begin looking at verse 21. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I have no need of you. These words are the height of arrogance, right? I have no need of you. 
Uh, The eye uh, thinks she's the only one with vision. And so uh, she says, I don't need you, hand. The head thinks he's the brains of the operation. And so he says to the feet, I don't need you. Everyone is looking for a solo career. Everyone is looking for a solo career. Just like what happened in New Edition. But God calls us, brothers and sisters, to something different. God calls us to humility. In our sinful nature, we look to the approval of others. We look outside of where we should be seeking approval from God, from our relationship with God. And we get on this treadmill of performance. And we're always just trying to stay on that treadmill, trying to seek the approval of others. And we just keep going. And sometimes the treadmill gets faster and faster. And we end up like that YouTube video where the guy goes flying through the wall. Because we can never keep up with the demands of approval from other people, much less from ourselves. This was not the way God created us to be. We were never intended to seek affirmation from other people. We were created to receive our affirmation from the one who gives it to us freely, who gives it to us by his grace through Christ. Jesus, the humble, the humble Savior. As we read earlier in Philippians chapter 2, we recall that He is the eternal Son of God, living in the glory of heaven, and yet He humbled Himself. Jesus, the Son of God, humbled Himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in human likeness, and by being born into abject poverty, by being laid in a manger, by being visited by smelly shepherds, by coming into this world in its darkest moment. He saw the people that no one else would see. Read the gospel accounts of Jesus and you will be amazed with his humility. He engaged with people who were despised and who were rejected by the world. He touched the untouchable. Jesus, the eternal son of God, made flesh. The Lord of heaven and earth became a servant. And brothers and sisters, the only way that we can be humble is by putting our faith in Jesus. The only way we can truly experience humility is to be clothed with his humility, to be clothed with his righteousness. We are changed into humble people. We no longer have to walk on that performance treadmill. We no longer walk in pride and selfishness, but we can be transformed by the Spirit of God. You may have heard the phrase, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I think that's a good definition. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not hiding your gifts. It's not denigrating yourself, putting yourself down. It's about thinking of yourself less. Look at verses 22 through 24. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. 
And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Verse 22 again says the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. See, true humility is finding a way to elevate other people. It's finding a way to lift up those who appear to the world and even to the church to be weaker. True humility is not about putting yourself down. It's about lifting up others. That's what that's what Jesus did. And that's what he works in us. You see, the humble person gives as much attention and engages just as much the housekeeper as he does the CEO. With the same energy, eager to know all kinds of people, to lift everyone up. That is what humility really entails. I was reading an article on Medium.com and the author, uh, Leon Purton, describes people with humility. I love this. He says, people with humility leave you feeling like you are the most important person in the room. That a person with humility leaves you feeling like you are the most important person person in the room. And isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what Jesus did? He, 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 he loved those who it appeared were unlovely. But we don't let the world judge. We let God judge. And God says to us here that the weaker, those who appear or seem to be weaker are actually what? They are indispensable. That the ones like us who maybe seem to be weaker compared to others. All of us are playing the comparison game, right? But Jesus says, no, you are indispensable. You are indispensable. And so how do we pursue this humility? How do we live this out? Just a couple of ideas. One thing is to think about other people. When you come into a room, don't think about how do I look? Don't think about how am I coming across, but think about others. Put your focus and your attention on what God is doing in other people. Give credit to others where credit is due. Encourage those who don't share in the same spotlight or the same role that you have. Find ways to encourage other people. And one way to do that, this is really practical, okay? One way to do that is by actually finding a way to depend on other people. We are so self-reliant, like Bobby Brown standing up there with the microphone, taking another song, right? But no, God wants us to be dependent on other people. He wants us to turn around to the band and say, all right, who wants to go next? Whose turn is it now? When you're trying to help someone who needs help, find a way to get their help. This is key. If, 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 if someone needs your help, you find a way to get their help. You find a way to ask them for help. Because as much as they think they need help, you need help too. And so when you approach situations where you're the one bringing the, the, the gifts and you're the one bringing the assets, uh, we need to pause and we need to say, okay, wait a second. How can I ask for help in this situation? How can I seek to be served? How can you help me? And what does that do? It empowers and it strengthens the person that you've been asked to help. By humbling yourself and receiving help from that person. This goes for parenting. 
This goes for any kind of situation uh, in the community when, when, a, when someone needs help. How can they help you? That's a good question to ask to, to draw out humility. This characteristic, this spiritual characteristic. That's the first characteristic of humility. Be humble. Secondly, be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Let's look at verse 24, the second part of verse 24, where God says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. To be vulnerable means to put yourself in the position of weakness. It means to be willing to risk your own comfort and peace or well-being for the sake of others. That's what it means to be vulnerable. And that's what Paul means when he says God has so composed the body. See, God is the, uh, God is the composer. God, God's put together the body in such a way that the members have the same care for one another. That the, we are mutually dependent on one another. The only way that that works is if we're vulnerable toward one another. That we might care for the welfare of others. And that we might be cared for in our weakness. That we might put ourselves in the position of needing some help. Of needing something. God puts us together in one body so that we can share life together. And that means being vulnerable. Being so vulnerable, in fact, that we are called to literally feel one another's pain. Isn't that what verse 26 says? Says It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Oh man, I wish you could have been there Wednesday night. Wednesday night at House Church, we shared about member life together. And, and there were multiple people who shared that they've been able to experience vulnerability, affirmation within this body, within this church. Praise God. That God has done that in this church. And, and, and so the, the word for us is, yeah, let's keep it going. Let's keep expanding that because trust me, those, as many people as have experienced that vulnerability and have experienced that affirmation, there are, there are probably just as many who feel on the outside. And so brothers and sisters, let's keep, keep pushing into the spirit of God. Keep allowing God to make us more and more vulnerable to risk being hurt, to risk feeling pain, to risk personal loss so that we can so that we can suffer with those who suffer. And that when someone is honored, we can rejoice that that we can have this this gut visceral joy when when something good happens to someone else, that we can be truly happy for one another. Not jealous, not feeling like an outsider, but truly feeling joy when we experience honor in one of our parts that we would all experience it together. And brothers and sisters, this humility and this vulnerability, it creates 
It creates a tight-knit unity in the body and it protects against division. That's one of the things here that he says. It says that it, it prevents division in the body. In verse 25, that there may be no division in the body. This is what God wants for us. That the brotherhood and the sisterhood that we experience would be protected through humility, through vulnerability. But our pride has trained us to hide. Our pride has trained us to pretend that we are strong when we are not. To put on a show like Elsa in the movie Frozen when she says, conceal, don't feel. Uh, that's, that's, our, that's our modus operandi in the church, unfortunately. Religion, moralistic religion has trained us to hide our vulnerability from one another. This is what religion, apart from faith in Christ, produces. Because that is not concealed, don't feel, is not the way of Christ. The incarnation means that God is is not concealing himself in heaven, but he is coming to earth, making himself known. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about vulnerability. Christmas is about God becoming vulnerable. It's about God becoming vulnerable. It's about the Son of God coming into this world. And through Him, we get to be clothed in the same righteous vulnerability. Do you remember when Jesus was called upon by His friends, Mary and Martha, to come and to heal their brother, Lazarus? He was called upon to come and to heal their brother, Lazarus, who was dying. And Jesus, if you read the story, you may be shocked to read that he doesn't come immediately. He, he waits like a couple of days. He doesn't come immediately with his gifts blazing. But Jesus in that moment creates space for vulnerability. He creates room for suffering. He allowed his friend to die. And then he came and he joined in the weeping. Shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. And it happens right there in this moment. Why? Because God, the son, became vulnerable. In his humanity, fully vulnerable, fully engaged in human emotion, weeping, not putting on a show, no truly engaged in our humanity, experiencing suffering and loss, experiencing death, even his own death on a torturous cross. And then out of his vulnerability, he used his gifts to raise the dead. But it was out of his vulnerability It was out of the place of weeping. Then Lazarus come forth. And the victory becomes so much sweeter. The unity of the body becomes so much more real when we experience it through humility and vulnerability. 
So let me ask you a question. How will we know that you are struggling? How will we know that you are struggling? Look, as a pastor, I usually hear about marriage problems when it's too late. I mean, it's way down the road by the time I hear about it. Hey, we need some counseling. Yeah, you've already signed your divorce papers. Why is that? Because in the church, we've trained one another that we have to keep it quiet, that we have to hide from each other. Why? Because it's not safe. Because we create an environment that isn't safe to share. It isn't safe to be not okay. And brothers and sisters, God has called us to something different. God has called us to create an environment in the church, to cultivate an environment of trust so that there can be a willingness to share the difficulty, the suffering, the hardship, the aches and the pains that are real. That when not cared for and dealt with will lead to division. Not just in our personal lives, but in the church as a whole and in society as it ripples in this effect outward. God wants us to create a place where we're slow to blame, where we're slow to cast judgment. So that this scripture could be true, that if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so how will we know if you are struggling? That, that's a challenge for us, isn't it? It's a challenge for us to be, to be honest with each other, to risk vulnerability, to say, you know what, I am not doing okay. I'm actually really struggling. I'm feeling like going back to that thing that I used to go to before I trusted Jesus. And brothers and sisters, we need to be careful when someone comes to us with that information, that we that we not cast them aside, that we not ignore their vulnerability, but that we engage with them, that we love one another well through that. The Spirit protects us from division by giving us the humility of Christ and by giving us His vulnerability through faith. And then from there, from that place of humility and from that place of vulnerability, God calls us to be yourself. Look at verses 27 through 30. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Have you ever watched a five and six year old soccer game? It is a trip. It's actually really entertaining. You ever get a chance, go check out a five and six year old soccer game. Because at the beginning of the game, the coach uh, some of you have been the coach, okay? And you've carefully placed everyone in their position, spread out across the field, right? And as soon as the whistle blows, 
As soon as the whistle blows, all of that goes away. And this is what you end up with. The children form a mob that moves slowly around the field like a brightly colored amoeba. Why? Because everybody wants to kick the ball. Why? Because everybody wants to get a goal. Everybody wants to get a goal. There is no concept at this stage, at least in soccer, of working together as a team. It's not the way the coach arranged it. Right. And, and, and it's not the way that God has arranged the church to be an amoeba, uh, all trying to do the same thing. All trying to have that gift or this gift. But God says to us. Be yourself. Be who God made you to be. What has God called you to do in the church? What has God called you to do in his world? That's what this whole series has been about. It's about paying attention to what, not so much how have you been gifted, but but what has God put in front of you? What is the task that God has given you to do? What will advance God's purpose in his kingdom, in his church, in his world? What are the opportunities right in front of you? And how has the spirit gifted you? Or how might the spirit gift you to do that? To do what is right in front of you. God says be yourself. Get busy. Don't don't look at at what the other people are doing. That's why Paul ends this whole section by saying, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? These rhetorical questions. The answer is what? No. Of course not. God wants us to use the gifts that we have been entrusted with. We shouldn't get sidetracked wishing that we had some other assignment, some other job, some other gift. There are many gifts because there are many roles and there are many responsibilities. There are many things that God wants to do through us, through his people. You are the body of Christ. Man, look at that with me one more time. Verse 27. You are the body of Christ. We need to get our hearts and our minds around this truth of our identity, that this is who we are. Do we have to muster up humility? No. Do we have to muster up uh, vulnerability? No. Do we have to muster up our own sense of our gifting? No. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. And Christ is not dead. He is alive. He is a risen king and he is living in this earth now through his people. We are his body on earth by his spirit, empowered to do his will, to work his ways in this world. You are the body of Christ. You are his hands and feet. You are the instruments that Jesus uses to do his will in this earth. You demonstrate his power. You show the world what li- how life works best. You bring God's grace to the undeserving. You bring words of life and hope to those who are perishing. You give a cup of cold water to the suffering. You are the body of Christ. So be yourself. 
Be who God made you to be. God wants us to focus our work, to depend on His Spirit, to do whatever needs to be done, to walk in humility, handing off the mic, to walk in vulnerability with one another, opening up our lives, to truly weep with those who weep, and to rejoice with those who rejoice, to be yourself. To focus on the role and the gift that God has given you by the power of the Spirit. God is not making a new addition. He's making a new city. And brothers and sisters, this is what we get to, this is what we get to live in. This is who we get to be, the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you uh, have given us forgiveness and a new start. And Lord, we know we have failed in so many ways to be humble and to be vulnerable and to be ourselves. We've tried to put ourselves out there. We've tried to hide. We've tried to be somebody else's gift. Lord, I pray that you would renew your people. That today, even as we go into the Christmas holiday, that we would take the time to turn from our pride toward humility, that we would receive the gift of Jesus, not just as a brightly colored package one day of the year, but that we would receive him in all of his fullness by faith, receive him into our lives, being transformed by the renewing of our minds and our hearts in Christ Jesus, that we would truly be the body of Christ. And that through faith in Him, we would be united as one for Your glory in this world. Lord, we love You. We bless You and we praise You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.